0: Hello and welcome to Food Stuff.
1: I'm Annie Reese. and I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and we've got another cocktail hour for you today.
0: Yes, we do.
1: Today we're talking about something that was in 1885 called a juicy and delicious compound, and in 1892 called seductive and unconquerable. What could it be? <laughs>
0: it's the Manhattan. Oh, I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> Had one too many Manhattans before coming in here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I almost went downstairs and got us. They've got like a barrel aged Manhattan downstairs, and I almost
0: got us a couple, but I'm a bad human, so
1: I didn't. What? Yeah, I know.
0: I'm certain I've had a Manhattan. I just cannot recall when. Oh, wow. But I'm sure I have. Yeah. It just seems unlikely.
1: It's one of the ones that's, like, on tap at the Mercury downstairs. So, yeah.
0: Well, I will say, after the last couple of cocktail hours, we have <laughs> ventured out and gotten whatever we talked about. It's so. thirsty work, friends. It's, it, it is. It is. <laughs> Before we ask the question we always ask, mm-hmm. we have a PSA. A podcast service announcement. I'm sure everyone is aware that that's what it stands for.
1: <laughs> um, it's, it's coming at the end of this episode, so... Keep listening to the thing that you're listening to, and you'll and you'll get to it.
0: Please and thank you. Yes, but we must first answer the question: The Manhattan. What is it?
1: Well, a Manhattan is a classic cocktail made from uh, two parts rye or bourbon whiskey, one part vermouth, usually sweet vermouth, and a couple dashes of bitters, usually agnostora. It's stirred or shaken with ice and then strained into a glass and served up. That is uh, without ice in the glass, usually. Um, and it's garnished with a maraschino cherry or a lemon twist. And a quick note on lemon twists. Ooh. Is, I've certainly had some bartenders who were confused by this. Oh, dear. <laughs> now, a, a lemon twist is a um, like large scrap of zest taken from the peel of a lemon, just the yellow bit, none of the white pith, if you can avoid it, and definitely none of the fruit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Definitely none of the fruit. <laughs>
0: Oh, so I should just put like a like a whole lemon and twist it above lemon juice, you'd punch me in the face.
1: Yeah. I (laughs) I wouldn't punch you and that this got very serious very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I might be disappointed in your bartending skills, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe the the cocktail into my face. I just go straight for the, the most dramatic, you know. But
1: yeah, yeah. If if it was in a movie, I would definitely throw the
0: drink in your face. Excellent.
1: But then I would probably get you a towel.
0: Oh, yeah. well, so it's very mixed messages I'm getting,
1: yeah, well, mixed drink mixed messages you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a joke there.
1: <laughs> the flavors of a Manhattan are uh, sweet and rich and kind of smoky or earthy and a little bit bitter. And these things can be deceptively smooth and drinkable, um considering that it's a glass full of booze, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. essentially,
1: quick breakdown on those ingredients. Rye and bourbon are American styles of whiskey. Uh, bourbon made primarily with fermented corn and rye made primarily with fermented rye. Weird when things work out literally like that. It is like kind that, of, yeah. <laughs> um, rye tends to be a little bit spicier, bourbon a little bit sweeter. You can learn lots more about both in our episodes on bourbon from June of 2018. Bourbon, America's Spirit, and bourbon, Talking Wild Turkey.
0: I like your uh, title voice. <laughs> Sounds very professional. <laughs>
1: It comes with a very professional hand on the hip as well. It does. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Vermouth is a wine um, that's been infused with various botanicals like wormwood, saffron, coriander, chamomile, and or juniper, and then fortified with a little bit of a neutral spirit such as unaged brandy. Um, The sweet type of vermouth is also sometimes called red vermouth or Italian vermouth because it's red and originated in Italy. Whoa. We're officially two for two on things with very clear names. I think that's a record. (laughs) (laughs) It's never happened before. And we will have to do a whole episode on vermouths uh, for sure. Absolutely. Sweet vermouth specifically was created in the late 1700s. Um, Dry white vermouth in France in the early 1800s. Then,
0: bitters. Those bitters.
1: Yes. It's not just something that I am Uh, in a whole other episode. Well, not about that, but about bitters should be forthcoming as well. <laughs> um, these are, I, I, guess, I guess every episode is about how I'm bitter technically.
0: <laughs>
1: Ooh. Uh, bitters are um, highly flavored infusions of herbs, spices, and other botanicals, usually infused into high-proof alcohol, but sometimes these days infused into glycerin. Uh, they were used as medicine by the early 1700s, and in use as a cocktail ingredient by the early 1800s. And Agnostora is a brand that dates from around 1824, probably originally made with a bark from a South American tree called Agnostora, and definitely originally from a Venezuelan city then called Agnostora.
0: I think this is three if we're keeping count. I think so. Also, for those of you who used to watch our videos or maybe still do watch our videos, they still exist online. (laughs) They do. Uh, We did a video where we worked with um, 1821 Bitters, which is in our building. Uh Uh-huh. And i just like to say, since we love puns on the show, I, I suspect a lot of you listeners like <laughs> puns. Um, I hope so. Oh, otherwise, oh, you really hate listening. Yeah, <laughs> this is very <laughs> masochistic of you. We got shirts from that place that say, uh, ask me why I'm bitter. Yeah. And it's a woman, like, crying. With a cocktail. Yes, and I love it. And every time I wear it, someone asks me about it, so... <laughs> Shout out to them and their shirt. It's a good shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: And then that fourth ingredient, uh, maraschino cherries. We just did an episode on those. Um, They are preserved cherries that come in either sweet day glow red or kind of sweet, tart, burgundy varieties. And uh, the latter is generally recommended by bartenders.
0: Generally. Mm -hmm. And as with... Every cocktail hour, every cocktail, there are so many variations. Oh, wow. Yeah, especially one that's been around this long. Yeah. The first one you'll hear a lot is probably dry.
1: Um, and uh, dry Manhattan uses dry vermouth instead of sweet vermouth um, and probably uses a lemon twist.
0: hmm mm-hmm. And then the other is perfect.
1: Which uses half dry and half sweet vermouth and also the lemon twist.
0: Yes. When I was doing research for this, I found an article that was kind of poking fun at the fact that not every bartender, if you come in and say, I want the perfect Manhattan, they might laugh and be like, well, I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually a type. It's actually a type, yes. <laughs> yes. Another
1: type, uh, the Rob Roy. Uh, uses scotch instead of bourbon or rye.
0: The SoCo Manhattan.
1: Uh, oh, southern comfort, y'all. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this was a staple in your college dorm years, but... Uh, Okay, the the SoCo Manhattan was apparently really big in the 60s and 70s, and it is made with Southern Comfort, which is, I didn't know this until just now, is a liquor that's flavored with fruit and spices, but has not always contained actual whiskey. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like whiskey flavored, and it hasn't always contained actual whiskey. Oh. It started with actual whiskey. It's now made with actual whiskey. There was a number of intervening years in which it was just whiskey flavor.
0: Oh, I want to do so much research into this. Now. I
1: know. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, um, yeah. So, so you can you can make the SoCo Manhattan um, either with bourbon and SoCo and sweet vermouth, or just with the SoCo and the sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. Recipes vary.
0: Recipes vary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I had a friend in college when she would get drunk. She would order like everybody she was with shots of SoCo. Oh goodness, <laughs> that's like my only experience with SoCo.
1: <laughs> Well, you know, bless her
0: heart. Bless her heart. She
1: was so sweet.
0: (laughs) I mean, outside of that, she was also sweet. Not just then. Um, Difford's Guide has so many variations of the Manhattan listed. Oh, yeah. So here's our patented foodstuff list. Brace yourself. I'm ready. Okay. There's a Neho, Apple One, Apple Two, Black Manhattan, Brandy Manhattan, Breakfast in Manhattan. Brooklyn, Bronx, Caramel, Devils, Harvard, Irish, Manhattan, Island, Met, Metropolitan, Mexican, Oddball, Portobello Star, what? Queens, Rat Pack, <laughs> Star, Tijuana, to name a few. That's like less than half. It is
1: such a simple cocktail that it, that it, that it invites these kind of riffs. Um, uh, you know, basically, you just need a strong liquor, a bittersweet, fortified wine or liqueur, um,
0: bitters, and a garnish and because because of this uh if you go into two bars and order a manhattan you'll probably get two different drinks unless you specify oh yeah <laughs> and speaking of ordering <laughs> there's a whole thing about this
1: yeah uh, okay so again because it is such a simple cocktail people can get very picky about their manhattans mm-hmm. um Many bartenders insist on stirring the drink instead of shaking it. Uh, Shaking both chills and waters the drink down more, which can kind of disrupt the, like, delicate flavors and aromas and the silky texture of the drink. Um, Whereas uh, stirring uh, will chill the components without introducing as much water. Um, The same bartenders will probably also recommend serving a stirred Manhattan in a chilled glass to help keep the drink cooler for longer, um, despite not being shaken. So... If you're the kind of human who does not have set opinions about how you want your Manhattan, but you would like to develop such opinions, uh-huh. I recommend going to a good bar when it's not too busy and chatting with the bartender about your options. You know, maybe go with a couple friends so you can order different variations and, you know, compare notes, oh, compare Oh, I love this.
0: It's like car shopping.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I think I will take the power windows, please. <laughs>
1: Uh, However, if you are the kind of human who does have opinions about your Manhattan, you should first specify rye or bourbon or whatever other liquor you want and the brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you should tell the bartender if you want it dry or perfect instead of with the default sweet vermouth um, and, and then specify straight or on the rocks because you can get it on the rocks if you want to. And some bartenders will just serve it to you that way, which can uh-huh. be infuriating if you're not expecting it. So, specifications are important. Uh-huh. This is what you should do.
0: I love it. Lay it out. <laughs> I remember when a listener wrote in forever ago and we read it on the air that she had um, cards with her, her favorite cocktail. I still love that I so much. I do, too. I think that's great. I get a little book, like, for when I'm <laughs> wanting a daiquiri, when I'm wanting a Manhattan. I'm like, this is what I would like.
1: This Can you make it this way? Yes.
0: <laughs> I,
1: I'm just saying perhaps
0: we should invest in this.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Merch
0: ideas. Merch ideas. Yep. Go to tpublic.com slash foodstuff for T-shirts <laughs> and more. And maybe soon <laughs> a customizable cocktail book. <laughs>
1: We'll see. (laughs) We'll see.
0: Um, Unlike a lot of the cocktails we talk about on this show, the Manhattan has a pretty close – it's stuck pretty close to its roots. Yeah. And um, we'll talk about those roots after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. (music) And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
1: Yes, thank you. So – Basic history of cocktails, which I feel like we've mentioned on the show before, but it's kind of applicable in this particular episode. Um, The word cocktail was first used to describe drinks as opposed to horses' tails in 1803. In 1806, this particular definition was used. A stimulating liquor composed of spirits of any kind, sugar, water, and bitters. In the United States, uh, that spirit was likely to be bourbon or rye. And this is also a pretty good description of one of the Manhattan's predecessors, the old-fashioned.
0: The old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you put old in front of it, anything, it has gravitas suddenly.
1: Oh, yeah. It's not just the fashioned.
0: It's the old-fashioned. <laughs> old-fashioned. See? It just <laughs> makes sense. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and that's not a lie.
1: It's like old jink spirit, you know? Yes!
0: <laughs> that's the same thing. Anyway, discussion for later. The Manhattan burst onto the cocktail scene in the 1880s. In terms of cocktails, its use of vermouth was sort of revolutionary, making way for things like the martini.
1: There's a book that came out in 2016 by one Philip Green called The Manhattan, The Story of the First Modern Cocktail. And it's, it's a whole—it's like a 300-page book. It It sounds like a lovely, like, coffee table book with lots of amazing photography and recipes. And I almost ordered a copy, but it was kind of expensive. But anyway, in it, he wrote— about the Manhattan. Its advent represents a watershed moment in cocktail history. For the first time, an imported, fortified, aromatized wine known as vermouth modified the structure of the cocktail, adding balance, nuance, sophistication, and sweetness to the base spirit. It completed the revolution and launched a new epoch. Strong words. Very. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Manhattan was, was urbane and modern and decadent. I mean, in a time of you know, like extremely interesting scientific revelations, like we can use this gas for lights. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. It was. It was an extremely exciting time. Yes, I assume.
0: Oh, I, I wasn't there, weren't you? It's time you admit your vampire past.
1: Anyway, look, I'm, <laughs> just because I'm intolerant of garlic, and <laughs> you're right, and don't like going out in the sun. <laughs>
0: Yes. You also seem to do more stuff at night during the day. It's all coming together, folks.
1: (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Uh, writer Gourmand and Bon Vivant uh, Lucius Beebe would write about the Manhattan uh, toward the end of his life in 1946. He said, because of its unrivaled tonic qualities as a restorative, an element for firming the moral fiber, as well as because of the prevailing American taste for drinks with whiskey bases at this time, the classic and standard Manhattan cocktail was an almost universal rite until the end of the 19th century.
0: Firming the moral fiber. <laughs> Well, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> I clearly need to drink more. I know. I got to go firm up my moral fiber. So I'm going to tell the bartender when I order one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the backstory of the Manhattan is pretty rad, or hopefully it is. Yeah. You know. There's, you know, mysteries of history. Yes. But fingers crossed that one of these <laughs> is the real deal. <laughs> Okay, so legend goes that the Manhattan was invented sometime during the 1880s at the Manhattan Club, a New York City social club. The interesting part is by whom. By whom. Yes.
1: Always difficult to pin down.
0: It is. A lot of people like to take credit for these things. The most (laughs) fantastical name thrown around is that of Winston Churchill's mother, (laughs) Lady Randolph Churchill, or Jenny Jerome, whichever you prefer. According to this version of events, she was at a party in 1874 for yet another Democrat that won the popular vote, but not the Electoral College, Samuel Tilden. And this is probably not true (laughs) as much as we want to believe it because at the time, Lady Randolph was probably in England giving birth to Winston Churchill.
1: Oh, yeah, that would put a crimp in that.
0: It was definitely like (laughs) the same time that those things happened. Mm -hmm. So if she didn't invent it, Who did? Mm. According to William F. Mulhall, a bartender working in New York's Hoffman House in the 1880s, quote, the Manhattan cocktail was invented by a man named Black, who kept a place ten doors below Houston Street on Broadway in the 1860s, probably the most famous drink in the world in its time. I love that because it reads like something out of a Sherlock Holmes book. Right. A man named Black. (laughs) He was ten doors down. (laughs) I love it. Um, This is part of a 1923 book, Valentine's Manual of New York. Another story that I love Uh involves a colonel on a yacht. Okay. With a cocktail. (laughs) An 1899 article from Wisconsin's The Daily Journal tells the story of Colonel Joe Walker, who, according to the article, ran the Crescent Hall Saloon in New Orleans. One day, he took his yacht up to New York with some friends. But problem, the only alcohols they had on the ship were whiskey and vermouth. So, of course, the colonel got the idea to mix them together, and he loved the result. So much so that when he got back to New Orleans, he did some experimenting, some perfecting, and named the cocktail The Manhattan after his buddies up in New York. Aw. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That happens so many times in in these cocktail histories where it's just, what? The party's going. What alcohols do we have on hand? Oh. What can I serve? (laughs) Yes. I'm out of gin. (laughs) I guess I'll use rum. It just happens so often. Whatever the case— The first written mention of the Manhattan appeared in an 1882 Sunday Morning Herald published in New York, describing it as a Vogue cocktail, but also saying it went by Turf Club cocktail and the Jockey Club cocktail.
1: Yes. Quote, It is but a short time ago that a mixture of whiskey, vermouth, and bitters came into Vogue. Bartenders at first were sorely puzzled what was wanted when it was demanded, but now they are fully cognizant of its various aliases, and no difficulty is encountered.
0: No difficulty is encountered. Apparently not. Oh, that's lovely.
1: And about those aliases, um, all of those drink aliases actually refer to a single building that was once inhabited by the Manhattan Club and formerly inhabited by Leonard Jerome, father of Jenny Jerome. It all makes sense. His mansion once held the offices of the American Jockey Club, which he helped found, and later a social club he essentially invented to launder money called the Turf Club. Um, And it wouldn't actually house the Manhattan Club until 1889, so the timeline is a little bit wibbly-wobbly here. Oh,
0: timey-wimey?
1: Little little (laughs) timey-wimey. But anyway, uh, the early recipes varied a little bit. Um, At first, the go-to garnish was uh, a lemon twist instead of a cherry. Um, And for a while around this point, the Manhattan might have been made with Geneva, a type of gin, instead of with whiskey. Uh, An 1886 iteration included a splash of champagne. Ooh.
0: Mm -hmm. An 1891 recipe for the Manhattan included absinthe and gum syrup and a little maraschino liqueur, should you so desire. Mm. Over time, the absinthe went away. The maraschino moved to garnish. Orange bitters became almost always angostura.
1: And some bartenders still do recommend uh, using a dash of absinthe in there. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever had one that way, but...
0: I certainly haven't. In
1: 1894, the obituary of General Jubal Early, a staunch confederate from the Civil War, included the tidbit that late in his life, his favorite hangout spot was a saloon in Lynchburg, Virginia, quote, where his favorite tipple was a Manhattan cocktail.
0: (laughs) That was in his obituary? yeah. Oh, And
1: I also think it's very interesting that such a, like, northern urban drink yeah. was the favorite of this Confederate general.
0: Very interesting indeed. Mm-hmm. Mm. By 1916, the Manhattan Club had published its recipe for the Manhattan. Quote, the celebrated Manhattan cocktail was inaugurated at the club. This consists of equal portions of vermouth and whiskey with a dash of orange bitters. At the time, the Manhattan Club had a reputation of old rye whiskey that they kept stored in their cellars. So the whiskey we get these days in Manhattans is probably a bit different. Mm-hmm. The liquor substituted in for rye whiskey varies regionally. Since the South is the home of bourbon, you're more likely to see that in the cocktail in the South. Rye is the more popular choice in the North. Interestingly, apparently in California, and specifically San Francisco, bourbon is the, the go-to. Okay. Found that interesting? Yeah. Rye whiskey, by the way, was really popular in New York at the time of the Manhattan's birth. It was the New York whiskey. Prior to Prohibition, there were 1,200 distilleries in New York. Oh, my goodness. So that's probably another reason why it was used. Yeah. Makes sense. A 1930 recipe for a Tennessee cocktail was essentially a Manhattan, but a 1948 recipe published in David Embry's The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks established the recipe that's most common these days. 5 parts American whiskey, 1 part Italian vermouth and a dash of Angostura bitters, stirred with ice, strained into a cocktail glass and garnished with a maraschino cherry.
1: I think that the amount of like vermouth to whiskey has gone up and down and is yeah, cuz at first it was like at least half vermouth. Yes,
0: it was. Like 1
1: part vermouth to 1 part whiskey mm-hmm. and yeah, I think I think very modernly it's A little bit lighter on the whiskey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit lighter. A little
1: bit lighter. Mm -hmm. In 1959, the Manhattan featured in Some Like It Hot, a.k.a. that film with Marilyn Monroe where Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon are in drag most of the time. Um, The film is set
0: during the Prohibition. Oh. Mm -hmm. Southern Comfort Manhattans became really popular in the 1960s and 70s, as we mentioned earlier. And again, as is always the case in these Our Cocktail Hour episodes, the Manhattan died out for a while but is now making a comeback. Some restaurants and distilleries are returning to the Manhattan's roots, reuniting it with rye whiskey, trying to recapture what it was at its earliest in its earliest days.
1: Yes, and it is a very popular co- cocktail kind of as I mentioned at the top of the episode for barrel aging, the entire trend of of getting a barrel and putting your cocktail in it and letting it hang out for a while and get concentrated her.
0: Concentrated Yeah, that's a professional term in yeah. the biz.
1: Oh, we should we should do a whole episode on barrel aging cocktails. Maybe. We should. I certainly would like to research it.
0: Oh, I would as well. (laughs) Barrels are actually really interesting. Oh, they are. We have it on our short list, which is really long (laughs) to do. I don't want to give anybody any false hope. It's coming out really soon, but uh, we do want to talk about um, barrels. Oh, I want to talk to a cooper. Oh, me too. (laughs) I don't know why. I was just like, oh, the opportunity of talking to a cooper my heart was very excited. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Ah, uh, all right. So yeah, um, all all of that, all of that for another day. But that more or less wraps up our Manhattan episode. It does, and it's going to bring us to some listener mail. But first, it brings us to one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with. Because both of them are about tea. I was going to do like a really like <laughs> chip, chip chip cheerio, but oh. I, I kept laughing, so I had to not do that. It's okay. Okay. Jared wrote, and Jared has written in before, and I think we've read one of his letters on here before. So hi, Jared. He wrote, since the second tea episode, I've been meaning to write in to, to comfort you in your embarrassment over milk or lemon in your tea. You share something with nuclear physicist Richard Feynman. The title of his autobiography, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, was taken (laughs) from an experience he had when he started at Oxford. He was invited to a formal tea and tried to bluff his way through the unfamiliar environment. A lady (laughs) serving tea asked him if he would like milk or lemon in his tea. Being as uninitiated with drinking tea as you were, he also asked for both. The event- eventual title was her reply. <laughs> that does make me feel a lot better. Oh, I'm on the same level in one way as a physicist. <laughs> one thing in common.
1: That's good. No, it's it's Venn diagrams are important. That's and you share a little sliver.
0: I think I'll have it printed out. I'll get it enlarged. <laughs> print it up. Anytime someone questions. My abilities, I'll just say nothing and point to the Venn diagram. Yeah. hmm Perfect. I think it's gonna be really effective. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney
1: wrote, My family always has iced tea at meals. My mom is from North Carolina, so it was an understandable staple for us. However, she got tired of us kids getting into her food and drinks, so she told us tea makes you short. This successfully discouraged myself, my brother, and his children from drinking tea until we could handle our own drinks. I started drinking tea as a teenager and didn't realize she was just trying to have her own drink until high school. Now I am a regular tea drinker because of an issue with caffeine. I am also shorter than my brother and his children. I also love the happy accident story of how Earl Grey came to be. On a trip back from India, the tea was put next to some citrus that were rather juicy, so they flavored the tea lightly. That is how the Earl realized tea
0: could be enjoyed, flavored. Hey. Oh. Oh, Oh,
1: man. It's one of my
0: favorite teas, too. Oh, I do love an Earl Grey. Mm -hmm. I'll feel bad after it, but I love it while it lasts. (laughs) I I also pulled this chick on my brother's um, of, (laughs) this food is really not good for you. I mean, I I eat it, but. (laughs) You really shouldn't. You really wouldn't like it. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good trick. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, man. But then when they finally found out my schemes. Oh. That was a sad day for me. I believe you. Well. Try not to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) All all good things must come to an end. You must share the fried okra eventually. (laughs)
1: Uh, Fried okra is worth trying to trick your brothers out of not eating. Because
0: they didn't like okra. Right. And I was pretty sure I I could convince them. Yeah. It lasted for a couple of years. I had a good thing going. Oh, okra
1: episode. I keep giving myself more homework. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much to both of y'all for writing in.
0: And now for our PSA. Podcast service announcement. Yes. We appreciate everyone who who stuck around i hope that normally you do yeah oh oh well, don't think about that okay but we we sort <laughs> of mentioned this in our previous episode on mm-hmm. edible gold
1: yes and you might have seen a, a trailer drop into your podcast feed for food stuff talking about savor
0: what is savor
1: it's food stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just going through a little bit of a rename and a relaunch because we're super excited because we're we're getting to go on the road more often and talk to people who make and eat food about why they why they do that thing and how they do that thing.
0: Yes. And we have already been on our first savor trip to Asheville. Mm-hmm. You
1: might have heard us talk about that.
0: Yes, and we have we got so much great content. We talked to Amazing people. Oh, yeah. And you're going to be hearing that over the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, so this is technically the last episode of Food Stuff before we go into our saver episodes. But, I mean, but we're, we're really staying very much the same. We'll, we'll still have episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Um, still with me and Annie. You're going to get to hear Producer Dylan.
0: Yeah, and um, we will have a lot of travel episodes, but we'll still have episodes that are pretty much like this. Yeah, because we love those two. Yes. Very fun. There will be puns. <laughs>
1: oh, goodness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So come along. Come along on this journey with us, please.
1: Please do. Yes. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, um, uh, either to uh, say things like these lovely listeners have said to us today or uh, anything else, you can yeah. do that thing.
0: Yeah, suggest a destination for one of our trips. Oh, yeah. Please do. And places to go and people to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can email us at hello at saverpod.com. But if you have emailed the old address and you're freaking out, don't. It's fine. It will forward to the new address.
1: It will. And thank you to our tech wizard, Izzy, um, for all of that. Yeah, uh, you can also find us on social media. Our new names are at saverpod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: Nice, simple, Mm -hmm. straight to the point.
1: Yeah. Uh, We do hope to hear from you. Thank you to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.